much time do you spend thinking about the world that will exist after you die? Huh, for some, I'm sure the topic is avoided altogether. You might even struggle with a false sense of immortality. But let's face it, we all struggle with this to varying degrees. I mean, when you woke up today, you fully expected to live to the end of today, right? We don't assume death is just hours away, or days away, or weeks away. And if you're a 20-something, full of life and energy, it might even be hard to even assume death is 40, 50, 60 years away. That's why there's such a wide spectrum. I just turned 42. And one clear sign that I haven't come to terms with my future demise is that I have yet to make a will. Yeah, I know. It's pretty important. So, I'm publicly making that my New Year's resolution right now. You are my witnesses. But making a will is no fun, because the whole point of it is to think deeply about the world after you are gone. Rich Mullins died at the age 41 and 11 months. What did Rich Mullins leave behind? Not just family members and money and songs and assets, what are some of the intangible things? We talked to Andrew Peterson, yes, the real Andrew Peterson, <laughs> about this very topic. What I have had a fun time recognizing is that almost every one of the Square Peg Alliance writers, the, the, this group of singer-songwriters in Nashville who are about my age, who at some point in their lives kind of gave themselves over to serving God in this way, almost all of us point to Rich Mullins as the guy who who made us want to do this. Um, there are a whole lot of people out there writing songs with, with um, some of his principles in the back of our minds, you know, that his, his love for scripture, like really songs actually about the Bible and about the Bible stories, um, his willingness to be vulnerable and honest with his own struggles, his own kind of reckless way of living and, and uh, kind of the fact that he seemed to be swept up in, uh, in something that uh, was bigger than he was, something that didn't always make sense. There was always a lot of mystery about uh, about him. And the God that he seemed to know so well what was uh, intriguing to me in a way because I felt like, oh, I don't know him as well as you seem to know him. Um, and I want that thing. And so I think that, uh, that, that now we're starting to see the fruit of some of the groundwork that he laid. Because other than him, there were just weren't a whole lot of people who were committed to writing really good songs and, and, to, and to being... People who, I'm trying to think of how to say this, but I just got, you got the sense when you heard Rich sing that he really believed what he was singing. Um, and that he cared more about what God thought than about what you thought. And, and I, I want to be that way. That's one of the things about him that I wish that I could be like. And you might remember Beth Snell Lutz, who we talked to in an earlier episode, former member of Zion and close friend of Rich. Here's her thoughts. What's more fascinating to me is the number of young folks who never knew him being affected and inspired by his music. Decades later, a few years after Richard was gone, I heard Andrew Peterson, and I was leveled by his lyrics, the familiar way he chose words to draw scenes of the life of Christ were reminiscent to me, especially of Richard's early songs. As I sat in the Ryman this September, waiting 
His liturgy concert, I wasn't sure how to feel about a group of young people who'd never known Richard, other than Reed, representing one of his most important projects. I couldn't help but think it would have been more authentic if it had been done by those who had known and worked with him in life. Instead, as the end came, I was overwhelmed and in tears at how God had somehow taken these songs and used them to draw new generations to what he had for them, that those on the stage were there in gratitude and honor of a life God had used to change their own. When it Andrew's 15-year-old daughter, Skye, came out to sing Step by Step at the end. All I could think was that she represented yet another generation meeting and being changed by Richard's music. And, and honestly, that would be a legacy that he would have found more important than anything else he could have done in his life. effects are still being experienced about the influence and legacy that Rich left behind. Dozens, maybe hundreds of artists are making their own music today directly because of the impact Rich had on their lives. It has given songwriters permission to pursue craft and Christ at the same time. After all, according to Rich, the mission of a Christian doctor is to simply be an excellent doctor. And the mission of a Christian songwriter is to make music with excellence. Here's a clip from a 1992 interview with Rich Mullins. I really think that because I'm a Christian, I mean, a lot of people think that as a Christian musician, I, when I write a song, I sit down and say, what really um, spiritually significant thing can I say here? And I really don't believe in doing that. I really think that you just try to write really good songs. And if you are a Christian, then your faith is going to affect everything you write. So it's not a matter of sitting down with a little agenda and coming up with a song that is very spiritual. I think if you're anything like a spiritual person in your writing will be spiritual writing. You know what I mean? If you're, yeah. if you're a Christian, that will affect whether you're a carpenter or a plumber or a housewife or a secretary or whatever. Um, that if your faith doesn't have some impact on your work, it's probably because you have no faith. A Christian artist is a follower of Christ who makes excellent art. It was a novel concept 25 years ago. Many thought being a Christian painter meant you had to paint portraits of Jesus, and every nature scene had better somewhere have a hill with three crosses. And Christian musicians had to keep the JPM levels high. Yeah, that's Jesus per minute. In fact, most folks thought the purpose of Christian music was evangelism. The music just gave a platform for the lead singer to give a mini sermon in concert. And no one liked to give mini sermons more than Rich. Yet, Rich understood that music shouldn't be treated as a means to an end. Art, beauty, excellence, these things matter. I'm Dave Trout, and from UTR Media, this is Release Date. Last February, I took a trip to Nashville and started to see things develop for a potential Rich Mullins tribute album. It looked like both Andrew Greer and Andy Osenga were on board to help this project along. In fact, after I got back, the ball started moving really fast. 
But still, there was really only one thing we knew for sure, and that was Andrew Greer was in the finishing stages of writing his book, which was under Worthy Publishing and already scheduled for a September 2017 release. Could the thing we're working on be a companion to the book? Or even just related to it in some way? I don't know. Maybe? And this led to even bigger questions like, what is the vision for the best possible project we could make? It became clear that it was important to have Andy Osenga be a part of this because he really had the heart for this to become less of a pig pen project and more of a special, unique release. Here's Andy. The kinds of records, the kinds of tribute records that have been really, that have kind of lived on, have become their own thing, which is what you want out of this, you know, is you want a record that people will, you want a record that introduces that artist to an audience that they haven't been introduced to before. And a lot of times those, those tribute things can be like, if you're a fan of so-and-so, you'll like this thing that you're a fan of. Here's a lesser version of a thing you're a fan of. Right. And that's what I don't want to be a part of. That does nothing for me. But, you know, I spent all my time working with Young Life and as a bunch of college leaders. And so I'm always in these rooms of like 20-year-olds and 22-year-olds and 24-year-olds. And I'm confident that none of them know these songs of Rich Mullins. There's not a lot of Christian music legacy that's, that's worth remembering, but those songs are worth remembering. And there's... There's no mechanism to remember. The thought of building a, a project that could be a mechanism where you could then share those songs with a new audience got me really excited. And then it got me excited enough that I went, well, I don't want to just oversee that. Like, I want to do that, which then led to maybe this is a project that's more cohesive and less sort of let's gather things from different people and just sort of put them together. And what if we shaped a narrative and we were really intentional about who, what, when, and where and why, and that would need a pr the hand of a producer um, who can sonically keep it in the same realm and can, can kind of create its own, can create a sound that is unique to that project so that it's, um, yeah, and it's something that, that then is relatable to those kids that I'm like, I would love for these people to know these songs. Um, so what if we bring in voices, friends of ours who have been really influenced by Rich, who all those college kids listen to and we create tracks that are really great and engaging, and then we, and we invite these artists to come be a part of them, and all of a sudden, these, song, these songs get a new life, and it's less about Rich Mullins, and it's more about discover this beautiful music, these beautiful lyrics, learn that there's a history here. You know, it's just like kind of, in some ways, it's like the work we've done with Indelible Grace and taking these old hymns, putting them to new music and updating updating the melodies, you know, putting them in modern music, and people discover this stuff and go, oh, I'm connected to the church in a much larger way than I realized. People have been having these same struggles and doubts and fears and victories and praises for a thousand years, and I had no... Uh, it's something about... It just sort of puts skin on that, you know? And even to do that for these songs that are 25, 30 years old and go, oh, man, I am not the only person that feels this way. And people have been feeling this way like before I was born. It, can, it just connects us in, in, a, in a way to the, to the church at large. And that, uh, all that to say, it's that kind of stuff that makes me go, now that's a record that's worth making. 
And now Andrew Greer reflects on those first weeks after my Nashville trip. Uh, Andrew Osenga, when he kind of came on board, then it was me and Andrew kind of spearheading what this could look like. And Andrew was really the one with the idea. Osenga was the one who said, why don't we just see if there's some... I think he was just thinking ease of budget. Let's get the budget right away. Uh, if a label's involved, we could probably get that in the marketing expenses just done with and kind of take that off that burden off our shoulders. So we went to a few labels, talked to a few people, especially focused in on centricity because we love John there and, and, and Osenga has a great relationship with centricity. And here's Osenga. Yeah, so Andrew and I started talking, Andrew Greer, so many Andrews, <laughs> it's absurd. Um, it's so absurd. So Andrew Greer and I started talking um, specifically about this project uh, because he's working on the book, and then he's like, well, maybe you know this project could be, at the time we thought this project might be a companion piece, yeah. uh, uh, you know, an album could come out with his book. Um which in a lot of ways would have been wonderful, but just the timing of that was... We would have had to start recording essentially the next week. Yeah. And um, for a little bit there, we, we, you know, you get excited. and You're like, yeah, we were at a coffee shop, so we were caffeinated. And we're like, yeah, we can do that. Let's do They're like, no, it's actually probably not going to happen. Um, so now what? We all knew that record labels have been pitched ideas for Rich Mullins tribute albums in the past and pretty much all took a pass for various reasons. It's a bit of a risk, and labels couldn't really make these small, scrappy passion projects any longer. But did an exception fall in our laps? Maybe. I can't remember, but it might have been just a day or two after the two Andrews had coffee and aimed for the vision that Osenga mentioned the project to John Mays. John is a bit of a legend in the Christian music industry. He helped launch the careers of Point of Grace, Matt Redman, and Nicole Nordeman, plus dozens of others. And he's a current VP at Centricity Music, home to such artists as Jason Gray, Andrew Peterson, Lauren Daigle, and Jordan Feliz. Oh, and he was a personal friend of Rich Mullins. He told Andy that he would love to hear a pitch. And maybe this tribute could happen through centricity. Again, here's Andy O. So in that same conversation with Andrew Greer, we started dreaming up this bigger record, which then, of course, means somebody's got to pay for it. <laughs> you know, it costs a lot of money just to have... It's not like it. it's, oh, we're just going to burn money. But it, just to involve a lot of great people, you have to pay them for their time. You know, and this, this is their job as this is my job. And I have kids, and I can't take two months to produce a record for zero dollars. And that's not taking care of my primary responsibility, which is my family. And so, um, and mixing engineers and renting the studio and all that kind of stuff that's, that you have to do. And even, even very affordable records cost 30, 40 grand. You know, and, um, and you want people to hear the stuff which means you're also wanting to look at distribution models and how do we, how do we, not to get gross about it, but like, what's a Spotify strategy? How can we find ways to get people to hear this music? You know, and that just all of a sudden there's a lot of people involved to do a project in the way that 
it's some of it's just my time at the label. I've now seen that oh, that stuff's possible. It's not in my indie world. I kind of didn't realize. I just sort of that stuff all seemed unattainable. And now I'm like, oh no, it's totally attainable. You just got to bring the right people in and find a way to involve them. And um, but that again costs money. It costs some. It costs. It, it takes somebody who's got those connections slash cash to believe in it. And so we, we thought, well, let's talk to some of the labels about it. And, um, you know, Provident is where he had been. Uh, Reunion Records, where Rich, Rich's catalog lived and where all his records were put out under, is now Provident. Um, and they were, at that point, we learned they were doing their own, some singles of some of unreleased songs of his. And um, didn't seem like they would want to probably do both at the same time. And, and then with knowing Andrew Peterson and Jason Gray and um, possibly some other centricity artists are all super influenced by Rich and will probably want to be involved in this project, then the natural thought was, well, we should talk to centricity. Um, and uh, good friends with a lot of the people over there. I just love them and know, know they have a heart for this kind of thing. And, and so, yeah, so the, so now the thought is, well, let's talk to them and see if there's if they might be a partner in helping us kind of tell this story and, um, you know, fronting a little bit of the money for it, uh, but more than anything, just kind of giving us a, um, an umbrella to work under and sort of the, the marketing muscle to be able to tell the story. If we're going to spend all this time building a story that they can help us tell it. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. This was getting interesting. Meetings started to take place over a five-week span. Some of it was encouraging. Some red flags were raised. And honestly, I started to get a bit nervous. As we started to have these meetings, though, I know there was some a little bit of tension, good tension, just questions. I know you and I had a long conversation. I remember I was in Abilene. This was in March 2017. Long conversation about... Okay, well, then what's UTR's role? If some, someone like a Centricity were to sign on more of a major label, then are we still involved? Are we not involved? Do we get a smaller piece of the pie? You had your own interest, obviously, of UTR brand being able to be disseminated through something like this, which is totally viable. And so I felt kind of like the mediator at that time between you and Osenga, not relationally, but just because Osenga was very motivated to see what we could do from a grander scale, and I really think it was purely practical. But I think it all helped us understand, one, how invested you were from just uh, energy and ideas and desire to see the project happen over how much you had financially to give. You were invested and wanted to be a part. I think that helped clarify that. Okay. The whole point of this podcast is to peel back the curtain, right? So here were some of my real concerns at the moment, whether they were goofy or not. Number one, I never thought of this as a bigger budget type of album, partly because Osenga's vision for this was way bigger than my own. So I had a hard time wrapping my head around what this tribute would become if Centricity or really any other label helped fund it. But also, at the same time, that label took over the creative control. Number two, I was a complete outsider. 
I don't have personal relationships with folks at Centricity, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but they are a CCM label serving a CCM radio audience. Of course, there are obvious rich connectors like Jason Gray and Andrew Peterson, but what if they wanted a half dozen other tracks with the Centricity roster? I'm sure they would do a fine job for CCM-facing renditions of Rich's songs, but isn't this the exact forgettable type of tribute that Osenga said he wanted to avoid? Number three, I was honestly concerned that the project was slipping away from me. Osenga and Greer were go-getters, and now they are hoping to get a record label to fund and basically own this album. My Papa Bear instincts were kicking in. I wanted to protect UTR Media's vested interest in this project. Well, regardless of my concerns, I didn't get involved. I wanted to see how things played out. Maybe God wanted me to let go of this project entirely. Maybe my whole point was just to get the ball going. Right now, my job was to wait. I was reminded how thankful I am that these two Andrews are friends and people I trust. And now the verdict was in. No more need to speculate scenarios. I got the call with the news. Centricity was saying no. My first reaction was that I felt bad for Greer and Osenga. I know that they had put a lot of time into pursuing these meetings. My second reaction was a bit of a relief. I was nervous what a CCM-led tribute of Rich's music would sound and feel like. My third reaction was that maybe this was our only shot to this pathway. More important than the money, we had lost five weeks on an already tight timetable. You know, that didn't necessarily come to fruition. What we found is it was too tight a window for them from spring 2017 to we were still looking for a fall 2017 release. Just too tight of a window, and there's a lot of label insecurity in general, then especially about someone, again, 20 years gone, uh, who's the audience. Same qualms we had about the book, but um, persisted through. I don't think labels were interested in persisting through. So then it kind of came full circle back to UTR and self-funding, you know, figuring that out. Here's what Andy Osenga was feeling at the point that this door shut. I mean, it's definitely disappointing because you hope that people are going to, you know, you, you get passionate about something and you want somebody, you want to be able to do it. Um, also, at the same time, I, I totally understand why they made the choice they made. And, you know, we knew it was kind of a long shot because it's not really a radio project. Probably it's not really a thing that can you can really tour. It may or may not have a long life cycle. It's hard to even tell. You know, when their staff takes time to put effort into this, then that's time they're not putting effort into on their own artists that they're trying to break and the stories that those artists are trying to tell. So it's it's a big ask, you know, and I knew that. And uh, all that said, knowing that knowing all that, we had three or four meetings, a bunch of long phone conversations. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a flippant no. Then they were so encouraging. I mean, we. 
even the no was like, we, we just can't, we just can't figure out a way to make it work. We wish we could, but anything we can do to help you, we're totally down. So like all of our artists, like just know you have all our permission for any of them. Anything we can, if, if there are connections we can make, if we can, uh, they were just couldn't have been cooler, which I knew they would be. They're just the amazing people. Uh, so, I mean, it's disappointing. It's not surprising. Um, so it's not like depths of my soul disappointing. It's just like, ah, bummer. That would have been cool. Um, so now it's like, well, what do we do? You know, back to the original thought is like, well, we don't want, I don't want to be a part of something that's going to be half great. And it's not that it takes money to be great, but it takes time to be great. And the time that time costs money. So it's just a matter more than anything of figuring out, well, where can we find enough money to pay for the time to make maybe a different version of a record that we would have made for Centricity, but still a really worthy project. Something that is, the world is better because we did it. So now the vision had grown, but the vision would need funding, and the pitch for that funding was shot down. There was definitely a what now or what next vibe in the air. When we come back, our project leaders make a pitch to a second organization. This episode is sponsored by the new Christmas album by singer-songwriter Weston Skaggs. To honor and keep Christmas in my heart. Stories for Christmas by Weston Skaggs was honored by UTR Media as one of the six best Christmas albums of 2017. Stories for Christmas by Weston Skaggs was recorded at Old Bear Studio and is presented by Old Bear Records. It's available now at iTunes and at westinskaggsmusic.com. We love hearing stories about how God is using this ministry to impact lives. James in Maine, UTR has made a stronger, more faithful, and God-fearing Christian. Jennifer in Rhode Island, my soul appreciates the recentering UTR's music brings in my wandering mind. Amy in Michigan, UTR Media has been the soundtrack of my faith journey. We can only continue this ministry with your help and support. Now through the end of December is Build-A-Thon 2017 at UTR Media. You can help this ministry be at full strength as we start the new year. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today at utrmedia.org. This episode is sponsored by the latest book from three-time Dove Award-winning artist, Jenny Owens. This new 14-day devotional book has the same name as her latest album, Love Be the Loudest. The book is full of scriptures, personal thoughts, and song lyrics to help you hear God's voice above the noise of the world. The Love Be the Loudest 14-day devotional is available in paperback and ebook, and is available now at JennyOwens.com. Centricity was interested. 
they were really interested. <laughs> they took several meetings, but now Centricity was out. Another key variable was that the discussions with Centricity lasted for five weeks, and ultimately they had to say no, in large part because the production window was too tight. Now we had even less time, so we knew that it would be a wasted effort to seek out another record label. There was still one warm lead for funding this project. Our guys decided to make a second pitch, this time to the organization that might be most closely tied to Rich than any other, Compassion International. Yeah, so that so Andrew Greer talked with guys at Compassion because Rich had been deeply involved with Compassion. Deeply. Uh, he was sort of the the first artist that really took their story to his audience. Um, and they're very grateful and they're very aware that he's a big part of their story. Uh, so Osang and I went to Compassion after Centricity didn't work out just to see if they might be interested in funding a record and figuring out how that would work P&L-wise for them because uh, Compassion is such a poignant part of Rich's legacy. Uh, Rich, of course, had, um, I mean, tons of sponsored kids through Compassion, was a big supporter of Compassion throughout his career. I think, from what I understand, Compassion really worked with him to work in some areas and, and with specific needs Etc. that Rich was really compelled by. So Keith Bordeaux, who is still with Compassion and is with Compassion, Keith Bordeaux was on his way out to live in Arizona uh, on the reservations with Rich um, and was with Rich the weekend before he died flying back to Nashville. So he was one of the kid brothers of St. Frank when he was in his 20, 20s, got out of a management role in Nashville, decided to kind of give his life up to this way of living with Rich and then Rich died, which really put Keith in this huge quandary of, well, what have I left everything I was pursuing for? And that opened him up to his now 20-year stint with Compassion. So Rich, I mean, has some deep influences in Compassion if you think about how Keith has impacted Compassion. And so we went to Keith. You know, and Keith's a friend of mine and definitely knows Osanga as well. So we knew there would be some sensitivity there towards what the project is. Um, they were, I mean, they were... We had a conversation. I know Andrew uh, in in some of the compassion folks had a, a conversation about it. Then it was like, well, maybe because they do giveaways at concerts. You know, if you sponsor a kid tonight, take this CD. You know that they they buy the they buy those kind of cheaply from the audit from the artists sometimes. And so, well, maybe if they could, you know, not a thirty forty thousand dollar thing, but if they could chip in a few grand or something to kind of help, and then they could have those those CDs to give away as as sort of thank yous to their supporters um that, that might be worth doing but then it's like well what show <laughs> cuz the artists are probably going to want to give away one of their records and it's just like it's all politics you know, at that point like and again couldn't have been cooler about it like we really love the idea we'd love to partner with you guys on this we can't just pay for it like yeah it makes sense i get that and was there was definitely some interest. I just think with any organization, compassion is like a label in that way. Like, how are we going to make it back? And if you can't really quite project that, it makes it a tough sell. So they they have always wanted to be supportive and will continue to be, I think, 
to help things become visible projects to their audience. But uh, yeah, that was another dead end from a larger financier. Um, so that was to me, that one was way longer shot than the centricity room. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's hard to make a, it's hard, it's hard to make records these days. Like they don't cost as much as they used to. I mean, liturgy legacy probably, I don't know how much it costs, but it couldn't have been less than a quarter million dollars and was probably not less than $400,000, you know, and that was not crazy back then. And they made their money back really fast. It just cost a lot of money because you had to get a lot of people in big rooms with big expensive equipment. You don't need all that stuff now, so it's a lot cheaper to to do records, but it's still not free, you know? Well, it wasn't for a lack of effort, but Compassion wasn't in the market to back this project either. Our hopes for making that big, ambitious project with a huge vision was likely not in the cards, mainly due to funding issues. It's unfortunate that after two months of meetings, we were still kind of stuck in the same place. Is this tribute even going to happen? And if so, what's the scope? Here's a phone conversation I had with Andrew Greer on April 17th, 2017, the day he got the no from Compassion as we process our next steps. Uh, okay, so Compassion is out only because uh, they basically phrase it. Steve, the guy who really has to prove it, which is above Keith, um, also, again, big, rich supporter but, um, and knew him, but said that they would more likely invest that kind of money into events like GMA events or I don't know if that means like the Dove Awards or maybe the AP event, which I don't totally necessarily understand. Of course, Steve hasn't been in all the conversations, but in the sense of I think this has more legs to it and still supports those in its own way. But I, I think, I mean, they're very, very kind and very polite about it and like still want to know what's happening and to be involved where it's the right thing to be involved. So all that to say, I, um, took it back to Andy and was like, okay, so is this thing, cause with Andy, I thought it might be kind of dead in the water. Uh, we just worked really hard and kind of exhausted our resources as far as, being able to do it on a bigger budget, et cetera. And, you know, it's um, turned a lot of interest, which makes it more exhausting, uh, but still knows, you know what I mean? So, yeah. anyway, all that to say, so I called Andy just now and was like, hey, here's the deal. And he's like, yeah, I kind of thought it was dead in the water. I said, I think we decide if we want to do it for fun or not. And basically it's more like we don't have to appease any record label. We don't have to necessarily appease radio. We don't have to appease anybody, really. Um, in the sense of what we were having to kind of put into the mix. So then it basically becomes asking our friends to some degree, even with the UTR full brand, it's still so many people that we know and that we love, and it gives us a lot more flexibility in that. It gives us more flexibility to hear what you think needs to be a part of it, that kind of thing. I said, so really I think the question is can we do it efficiently so that it's worth our time, so that it's both fun and worth our time. It could be more fun this way, but can we record it in a week? You know what I mean? Um, that kind of thing. And like, just make it happen. Do a lot of pre-production, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. And I said, you know, and honestly, anyone with a great SLR and give it to me and give me the door off Rich's church and put it in your home studio and I'll take headshots of everyone that comes through the door and 
they'll be fine. It'll be the same as if, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't need a $1,500 budget and, or we'll find a photographer who really wants to do it. And we'll talk to the mixing engineer that we need to do it. Who usually, who gets $20,000 projects and who we have used, you know, for a few thousand dollars. And that's a favor might do it because he worked on some of Rich's projects and he might just do it, you know, but there's all these elements of, of putting together a really fine record that are necessary. Um, that costs money. So it's more like, can we take these people to lunch and say, here's the deal. There's no money, but is the legacy, you know, something part of you want to be a part of it. And there's a little bit of flexibility on time, which always speaks to people. So anyway, that same with the photographer, same with the mixing and mastering engineer, same with everything, you know, Andy and I can man it in his studio as far as getting it on tape and getting vocals from people and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we're still very, very much concentrated on not wanting to have any kind of hodgepodge as far as people send tracks, but really wanting to, there may be elements of things they send to us, but really having the production in-house, which I think is the right thing. So then it's element of like, well, he's like, well, maybe Compassion would still end up ordering, you know, they wanted to do a bunch of premiums and they might purchase premiums at $3 a pop, which is still better than a label would give them, but we're manufacturing at a dollar a pop. So there's, you know, potentially a few thousand to several thousand dollars that's unspoken for. And it's just a matter of you, me, and him talking about, okay, what are the percentages on this? You know, he would want to probably get something back from the back end. You're going to yeah. want to, you know, not only pay yourself. You, you kind of have dialed in that you know you'll probably be able to pay yourself back from your audience. But you're going to want to uh, potentially make some money on top of that, of course, um, et cetera. So we all ha will have some large investment in it, but want some return on it if they become exponential um, sales. You know, if there's if there's things that happen that we didn't expect that are outside of just selling it through UTR channels to those audiences, the people we would push it to naturally. The book synergy is still there. The possibility of you housing the, you know, the the web kind of house for this. Um, and having the synergy of the book's publicity and like, I, I would still be a hub for all that with you. And so really there's a lot of things that would not change. It just comes down to, can we do it, you know, with little to no money. So then it's more of a creative, innovative thing. And, and we just start talking about it. So he's going to sit on it for sleep on it for a night or two and kind of, he's going to look at it from the end of, can I do this really efficiently? Can my personality even do it efficiently? You know what I mean? Like, can I let some things go? when they need to go, you know, and know that part of that's because we need to do it in a time frame. So I think it's a great question. I think really good art comes out of having parameters um, and all that. So I think it's, it's still a possibility. I think it's still the right thing to have Andy involved and Andy and me involved together. We still would like to do it together. I bring a lot of that. Let's get the people to lunch. Let's talk to them about what this could be. Do you want to be a part of it as a legacy project? Now, you might have this question in the back of your head. Since funding is one of the main concerns, why not just do a Kickstarter or crowdfunding campaign to maybe bring fifteen dollars or $20,000 to the table? Well, there are two big reasons. Number one, it takes a lot. And I mean a lot of time, effort, energy, and publicity to make a successful campaign. It's not really anything that I or any of the artists could tackle at this time. 
And number two, whether we're talking UTR as a nonprofit or our artist friends who make music independently, we have to be really careful about the timing of crowdfunding campaigns. In other words, asking for funds for this fun side project might jeopardize a different campaign that funds some of the more central and necessary work. You can only come to the well so often. On the next episode of Release Date, Andy Osenga has slept on it and lets us know his status as a producer for the tribute. Plus, we get this project in front of one of Rich's longtime collaborators. Stay tuned after the episode as Robot AP announces the winner of our Age to Age contest. Release Date is produced and hosted by me, Dave Trout. Special thanks to Andrew Greer, Beth Snell Lutz, Centricity Music, John Mays, Andy Osenga, the Ragamuffin Archives, Compassion International, and, yes, Andrew Peterson. If you like the show, give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you want to share about how Rich Mullins' music and legacy have impacted your life, send a note, an MP3, or a video to our email address, releasedateshow at gmail.com. Release Date is a production of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported, nonprofit ministry in Chicago, Illinois, and online at utrmedia.org. Yo, yo, yo. And now for the real reason you tuned in. Me, Robot AP in the hizzy for shizzy. Thank you to all the people who left five-star ratings and reviews of this podcast. However, we didn't get any Stitcher reviews. What's up with that? I thought Robot AP was taking over Stitcher like mad. It's time to announce the winner of our special contest for the vintage vinyl LP of Age to Age by Amy Grant. And the winner is... After this commercial. No, just joking. I just wanted to feel like Ryan Seacrest for a moment. Okay, here we go. The contest winner is iTunes user T Freeman 12. Excellent. Congrats, dude. If you are a dude, do you want to hear T Freeman 12's review? Let's do it. Dear losers, your show sucks. You should retire. Ouch. Chill, Lex Man. I was only joking. Here's the real review. This podcast is a documentary of the process of creating the Rich Mullins tribute album on a meager budget. At first glance, that might seem rather uninteresting, especially if you have never heard of Rich Mullins. But if you enjoy the other content from UTR Media or even just a good story, you're in the right place. I personally have never understood who Rich Mullins was until listening to this podcast. And whereas I began listening half-heartedly, I now am eager with anticipation for this album to come out. Well done telling the story, Dave. P.S. I absolutely love Robot AP. Sweet. No joke. This dude. If he's a dude.
wrote that about me. It is quite possible that I stuffed the ballot box with T. Freeman 12's review. Good job. And enjoy your new vinyl LP. Merry Christmas to all. And to all a good night.